Good afternoon, short-term shoppers. You are now in the short-term show special episode series on the Western North Carolina mountains. So this is everywhere from Asheville all the way down to Bryson City, basically that entire southwestern corner of the state. We're going to be doing a deep dive, 10 episodes worth of content on investing in this part of North Carolina. Now, we do have some supplemental materials for you over on our website, things like purchase prices of investment properties in this market, as well as the AirDNA income data. Thank you, friends over at AirDNA. So if you guys want to know uh, what all of these properties cost, you know, the different purchase prices, you can see that on the shorttermshop.com, as well as the income data. You can find that there too. If you guys want to buy an investment property in Western North Carolina with a short-term shop agent, email us at agents at the shorttermshop.com and we will get you hooked up. Or if you just have more questions, you want to come hang out with us some more. We've got a great Facebook group with a wonderful community of investors over at short-term rental, long-term wealth, same title as my book. And if you guys want to chat with us live anytime, we've got a call every Thursday and you can join that at strquestions.com. We look forward to seeing you over there. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Short-Term Shop special episode series. This uh, this series on the Western North Carolina mountains. So the I sometimes call it the, the North Carolina Smokies. So that Western North Carolina mountains area, entire Southwestern corner of the state. Uh, So we have a really cool episode today. So today we're talking about the contract process and common inspection issues. We have our expert agent, Jay Lawrence, and then we also have expert home inspector, Kimmy McBurney. Uh, Jay, do you want to introduce yourself really quick? Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm Jay. I'm the local Viking out here in Western North Carolina. Um, I've lived here about five years. Uh, Well, I grew up here, but moved back here and I've been back for about five years now. Got my real estate license and I'm um, ready to roll. Awesome. Uh, Kimmy, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you so much. So Kimmy McBurney, um, the company we have here in Western North Carolina is American Eagle Home Inspections. And we do serve most of the the, the part of Western North Carolina. So yeah, good to be here. Thanks for having me. We're going to just walk through the contract process from start to finish. So Jay, if I'm your client, we found a house, we think the numbers work and I want to make an offer. So we've identified the property and you present me with a contract. So a lot of people don't read their contracts. A lot of people just you know sign whatever and that's fine, but you should be reading your contracts. Uh, I'm guilty of not reading them myself. But what I want people to understand when they're writing a contract is that it is a legal document and it's Uh, There's things about it that you can be held to by the other side of the deal if things go sideways. So I want to make sure we understand that without, of course, pretending that we are attorneys because we are most definitely not. Uh, Okay, so, Jay, I want to write an offer on a house. What are we doing? So real quick, I I mean, we do it a little bit differently up in North Carolina here with the due diligence. And um, I'll I'll explain due diligence really quick because it is different. in North Carolina, you you as the buyer have can cancel contract for any or no reason during your due diligence window, and your earnest money you, you get your earnest money back. So that's the good news. But up here, we pay a fee uh, to the seller that is not refundable. It's the due diligence fee, and you know typically whatever your earnest money deposit is is you know half of that. I kind of recommend as the due diligence fee. So at the beginning of the contract, it is a fee. It is the fee that you pay for the seller to take the property off the market and do your inspections and all that good stuff. So um, 
should you complete the contract with them, that due diligence then becomes part of the earnest money and it goes towards purchase price of the house. But if you get into a house and you know the the floor has fallen out underneath of it after you've gotten the inspection, and you're obviously not going to want to buy a house that's about to fall down. So you will cancel contract, but unfortunately you do not get your due diligence back. It is a completely negotiable fee on your contract, but I mean, you don't have to offer due diligence at all, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's not going to be a strong offer if you don't, um, you know, good due diligence is between a thousand, 2000 usually. So, so once we, that's that's very important. I think that's a very important distinction because uh, we have a a lot of offices in a lot of States and North Carolina, I think is the only one that has this. So you technically have two separate deposits, right? You have a due diligence deposit that is not refundable. And then you have your earnest money deposit that is refundable if you terminate under the contingencies, right? As long as you terminate before your, your due diligence window. So you typically about a month is due diligence period. So you have that 30 days to get in and do all your inspections. If as long as you cancel with it before that day is up, you will get your earnest money back. So we don't have to write contingencies to keep your earnest money safe. You just have one date to remember. And if you make it, then your earnest money is good. So Okay. And that's also something that I want to highlight because a lot of our clients that ha- have been buying on the Tennessee side are, are buying things on the North Carolina side. And that's a really big thing, part of the contract that's different. So in Tennessee, it is not called a due diligence period. It's called an inspection period. So whatever you terminate for in the inspection period in Tennessee has to be related to the inspection. Whereas in North Carolina, you're telling me like I could stub my toe and decide I want to not continue with the contract and still be able to get my earnest money back. Absolutely. Any or no reason up here, you can cancel your contract. Like you can walk out and it's raining and be like, oh, it's raining. I got to cancel this contract. You can do it. Okay. So Good to know. Very um, important distinction. Um, yeah. And I like to call it a fee at the beginning because it technically is a fee until you you go through with the, the purchase of the house. But uh, it's not a hollow fee if you complete the purchase because it does go towards the purchase price of the house. So it's not all bad, but it's kind of the trade-off we make up here for that, that earnest money safety. So... Um, Gotcha. Gotcha. So your due diligence deposit in your market, which guys, we have four markets in North Carolina, so it can be different. You know, real estate is really market specific. So even two markets in the same state can have different customary due diligence deposits. But you're saying that, I mean, you can offer without a due diligence deposit, but it looks pretty weak. They're probably not going to take you seriously. And between one and 2000 is kind of what you're seeing on average. Yeah. um, Typically what I recommend for earnest money, so we'll take a $300,000 purchase price. You know, I usually recommend 1% of the that purchase price as their earnest money. So 3000 and then, you know, half that for the due diligence. So that'd be 1500 You know, I've in the past eight sales that I've done, um, you know, nobody actually, I've only had one person scoff at like a $1,000 due diligence fee. I mean, most of the time, if it's, you know, around there, it's, it's a pretty decent, uh, it's, a pre- it's a good offer. So, you know, whereas, you know, two years ago when everything was multiple offers all the time. So the more competitive the property, the more due diligence you're going to have to offer. Right. Yeah. It, it's a it's it's a bargaining chip that you can throw into your offer to make it more appealing. Um, I mean, I've done due diligence as low as 200. But I mean, you know, obviously the purchase price I would offer, you know, is the higher it goes, I would offer more due diligence on that. Um, all right. But, So I think that makes sense. And we may come back to that in a minute. So when you're writing an offer, there are a few. So your contingency is 
the inspection contingency and then also financing, I assume. Are there any other, sorry, it's called a due diligence, not inspection. I'm on the wrong state. So due diligence contingency and financing contingency. Are there any other contingencies or things we need to think about in terms of ways you would need to potentially terminate a contract? No, no. As long as you terminate your contract within that due diligence window, you're good. Um, You know, you can, we do have a contingency to contract for exception, like at the beginning, like a, you know, in a, an addendum, like um, this offers dependent on you fixing that septic tank. So, you know, you hack it out up front, you know, on the, those big ticket items. I just did one like that where the, the, there was no septic tank. It was pulled out of the ground and I was like, well, we'll offer on it, but you need to put a septic tank back. So, and then once that was accepted, you know, they're on the hook for that septic tank. Gotcha. And then another big one that I think a a lot of investors need to understand, you need to disclose at the beginning of a contract is if you're doing a 1031 exchange. So if you're selling another property to buy a house in Western North Carolina, you do have to disclose that you're using the proceeds from a 1031 exchange. Whether your primary property that you're selling has closed or not, you still need to disclose and say it's contingent on 1031. Um, If it hasn't closed, then if the initial one hasn't closed, you also need to disclose that it's contingent on the sale of XYZ property. And the reason for that is if for some reason the property you're selling falls out of contract, which makes you unable to terminate this one and you're already past your due diligence, you need to have that out. So also, uh, even if the property has closed, you still need to make it contingent on being able to use the proceeds from a 1031 because if you're, say, up against your deadlines, like your identification period of 45 days or your closing period of 180 days, and the seller does something like needs to extend the contract by two days, but that pushes you past your your closing date, uh, that your 180 days, and then you're no longer able to use the proceeds, you want to be able to get that money back uh, and, and terminate the contract if you can. So I think that's a big one that a lot of investors don't think about when they're making offers is if you're doing a 1031, you need to disclose it and make it contingent on you being able to use the proceeds from your 1031 to close on it. Uh, and our contracts up here are very clear. Like it's not, it's very clear if you put that on there. So it'll ask you like, you know, what kind of loan, conventional, whatnot. And there'll be like in other expenses or how the buyer intends to pay. And then you can put that in there, you know, 1031. If the property is still under contract and they're selling it, you know, there is a spot in there to be like, it is contingent on selling this property. It is a 1031. It is very clearly marked in our contracts up here. Awesome. I love I love very detailed contracts. In some of the states, it's just everything's so up in the air. And then you get in these gray areas, and especially when people are trying to terminate contracts and then sellers are getting mad and saying, you can't do that because of this in the contract. It's just so like, I love a state that has a good, clear contract that makes it so much easier. Yeah, We're straight up and to the point, cut and dry. Like it's, it's a, it's very easily navigated. Awesome. Well, let's talk, let's move more into the process of doing your due diligence. Okay. So Jay, one thing that I want to talk to you about before we get to Kimmy uh, in terms of doing the inspection. So whose job is it to schedule the inspection with, or not schedule, to call and hire the home inspector? Um, We have, I work with a transaction coordinator and we do send out a list of uh, inspectors, um, you know, that I have worked with before that I, you know, that are good and will do a great job. And, and she's, she will email that to the clients and the clients will set up their own inspections. We used to do it differently, but this is the way we do it now. 
So uh, we don't want to, you know, in, schedule your inspection with somebody you've never, you know, given you the option to choose is, is the best. So you will yeah. have an option. Yeah. It's, it's the buyers. And I think that a lot of people can kind of get caught up in this too. Uh, you as the buyer need to be calling and hiring your own inspectors because you want to make sure that you, you get along with this person, y'all communicate effectively, uh, and that, you know, you want to interview them and make sure this is the person you want to hire to do your home inspection. And a lot of times, Agents will just call and schedule a home inspection with an inspector that they know really well. But I think that takes away from the buyer, you know, actually being able to hire their own and feeling really comfortable. So we're... It, it, when I do transactions, I'm not an agent in North Carolina, just disclosure. But when I'm doing a transaction, I like to say, okay, client, here are three or four home inspectors who I really, really like. They do a really great job. Call them, figure out which one you like the best, and then we'll get it scheduled. So I think that's really important to understand that it's it really is best for you as a buyer to call and get to know a home inspector before you hire them. Absolutely. We used to do the scheduling, but I, we don't do that anymore. Um, just because of that fact, you know, it gives, you know, gives you the chance to like pick who you like best. <clears throat> yeah. And it's important, you know, for y'all to have that rapport with your home inspector. So now moving on to the home inspector, Kimmy. So this will probably, you know, we'll probably spend a good 20 minutes, half hour here. So the inspection process. So I think this is the area where a lot of our listeners are going to have the most questions. So in North Carolina, if I'm calling you to get a home inspection, what does a general home inspection include in terms of like what is looked at? Yeah, um, I love that question. And I, if you don't mind, I actually also want to bring up another point. So I love this deep dive on the, the on the contract process in North Carolina. So I think it's important to mention because some people ask before making that offer, you know, due diligence deposit we discussed, can I get an inspector out there previous? You know, I don't want to make this offer and put up all this money and it be you know, remiss. So I think it's important to note that in North Carolina, we are not a walk and talk state. So you do have to be under contract to engage with the home inspector. We get a lot of people who say, well, what if I pay for the home inspection prior? Chances are the seller's not going to agree to allow the home inspection prior to the offer being accepted. So that being said, like you said, so we've got the offer accepted. We're in due diligence period. What do we do? Um, and absolutely, I think I'm all on board for people looking around, you know, look at the home inspector's website, look at their social media presence, call and talk to the home inspectors. I definitely think that's super valuable when looking for a home inspector. So um, once you get there, uh, we do have an online booking system, which I think is great. Uh, we do have our website, which has full transparency on all of our pricing and all of our services. So you would really want to start there. Um, and then, like I said, you know, book online or call your inspector and say, like you had mentioned, properties here in Western North Carolina are unique. They have septic or they could be sewer. They can have a well, they can have a spring, they can have a cistern, they can have city water, they can have radon, pests, all those things. So it's definitely important to not only talk to your agent, but then also talk to the home inspector, pros and cons, pluses and minuses. What do I need to be booking? Kind of thing. So if I'm a new buyer and I'm like, okay, I've never bought a house before. I'm under contract with Jay and I call you guys to inspect. And I just say, I just want a regular home inspection. So what are you guys looking at? That's a great question. So my general response is we are looking at the entire house being a structure itself. So top to bottom, front to back, side to side, um, everything that has to do with the structure. So that goes from roof to foundation, wall to wall. So structure, exterior, gutters, all the main systems, HVAC, electrical, mechanical, um, everything we can see, access, and operate. 
I think that's a, a, an important distinction. You know, they all want us to have x-ray vision and see through the walls, but we can't. <laughs> yeah, I was about to ask that. So, because I think a lot of people get confused about that because you're not opening up walls and looking at electrical. If you're not digging through uh, like stuff in the crawl space, it's just stuff you can see and get to. So if it's inside the walls, it's not being inspected, right? Absolutely not. Yeah. Well, so we do have infrared technology. We try and be kind of cutting edge with all of our, we have the drones, we have the infrared technology you know, we'll do our best. And we also, as experienced inspectors have, can look for indicators of moisture in a wall, et cetera. We have moisture meters, et cetera. But yeah, and I think it's important to know too, we can't, that goes beyond inside walls. A lot of times there's furniture obstructions, personal belongings, stuff like that. So we really try and go above and beyond and not only contact the buyer, but the listing agent pre-inspection to make sure there's optimal condition, the utilities are on, you know, all those kind of fun things. Okay. I have a lot of questions still. So <laughs> if, hang on. So when you're doing an inspection and say you find like a foundation crack, what's the next step? So what does a buyer need to do if a foundation crack is found? Are we, are we calling contractors? Are you a contractor? You might specifically be, but most, a lot of them are not. So I think a, there's a, a little bit of gray area and overlap with when, with new buyers who want a a home inspector to be a contractor and a co like they don't know there's a difference really. So can you kind of explain that difference in the context of an example of a foundation crack? Yeah, great example. Um, And this is where vetting your home inspector is important. I always direct clients to our sample report. I think it's very important that you use quality software, you know, a quality inspector. Um, ours are color coded. I love that for clients. You know, a, a blue item is like cool, calm, collected, like just for your information. Orange is kind of that middle of the road and red is like it needs to be fixed today. So I think that's really helpful for clients digesting a report. And also in all of our descriptions, we're going to tell you the next step. Hey, this is a crack. It looks of no significance. Just keep an eye on it. Or it's a yellow or, you know, an orange crack. Hey, we kind of see some things that we don't love, you know, consult with a GC. That red is going to be that structural engineer, but that's like, that is a bad word to us. <laughs> we try and use that very sparingly. But so each, each suggestion on the summary report should direct you to that next step because as a client, yeah, you don't do this often. You know, you don't want to guess and have to see where you need to be. So we try and if we do have to refer someone to a GC, to have those recommendations, or if it's a DIY item, we're absolutely going to say that. We don't like to say contractor for everything. Um, I personally am a licensed GC. I come from the construction world. So, but North Carolina is also very clear. They don't want to mix and mingle inspectors and GCs and repairs. So as an inspector, you are there solely as an inspector and you're not allowed to kind of impose your expertise as a GC. Um, you'd have to refer that separately. But so I kind of can do both. But in, in if I'm doing an inspection, I'm there as the inspector, not as a GC. Yeah. So I think that's a really, really good point that you made and a really uh, important thing for people to understand. So your inspector is just there to point things out. They're not there to diagnose and give quotes on how much it would be to uh, to fix something and things like that. Uh, but you also made a really good point that I want to highlight about things that show up on an inspection that are called out that aren't necessarily a big deal. So when I, when I've been in the listing agent seat, I've had agents say, oh, well, you know, the home inspection was 10 pages long. So there's a ton of stuff, but we're only asking for this one thing. But anybody who's ever seen a home inspection knows that, yeah, like there's no such thing as a quote, clean 
home inspection. There's always going to be a list of things like, hey, this light switch is crooked. Hey, you know, not, you said blue. What are your colors? Blue, what? Orange and red? red. Blue, orange, and red. So blue means, okay, we looked at it. It looks good. Orange means might want to do this, probably a DIY thing, maybe a contractor thing. And then red is like, OMG, right? Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Got it. Got it. So let's talk about a few of the things specific to this market that are going to show up on most home inspections. Yeah. So I think when thinking about this question, I'm going to kind of go outside the structure because I think structures themselves, plumbing, HVC, electrical, you're going to see the same thing across all markets. Um, but here you've mentioned foundation cracks. We see a lot of moisture um, and a lot of settlement type things. So moisture being we have, we have kind of a mix of crawl space and basements here. Um, I'd say we see a lot more crawl spaces than basements. So those come with our whole set of issues, you know, moisture issues, pest issues, stuff like that. So chances are, if you've got a crawl space, something's coming back in there, you know, in one of those levels. Yeah. Moisture is, is a scary word on, on home inspections. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I can go through a couple others and you can choose yeah, what you pick what rabbit hole you want to go down. Let's hear them. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're down with the rabbit holes. Let's go. Yeah. So moisture and foundation, we see a lot. So I mentioned pest. So especially in crawl spaces here in North Carolina, that's a wood destroying insect report. We are looking specifically, and that's a separate license here in North Carolina. That's a third party pest inspector that we can coordinate, but they're looking for termites, powder post beetles, those kind of fun things. Those are semi-unique to the area. Um, and then septic and well, I think, you know, a lot of areas, especially if you're in lower lying areas, you know, the beach areas, you're all on city sewer here. We have a, a higher amount of remote properties, you know, mountain properties, et cetera. So we do see a lot of septic and well, and those are kind of two things I definitely, you know, like you said, if that client calls me, I just want the basic home inspection. Okay. Do you mind? Can we run through the exercise? Can I run through the illicit services, let you know the pros and cons? And sometimes they say, oh, shoot, I didn't realize, you know, this was built in 1940 and it's got cast iron. Okay, I'm going to gently recommend a sewer scope, you know, just to kind of do my due diligence and let you know that that's a common issue here in North Carolina. So older building materials and then those moisture pest issues are pretty common. So, yeah, let's talk about the extra home inspection items that you might need that are outside the scope of just a, a quote, regular home inspector. So... Regular home inspection, we already talked about what that covers. What other things in a mountain property might someone need to get a separate inspection from a separate inspector or vendor? Yeah, sure. I can go down the list and I'll kind of, I'll let you guys know what we do and do not do in-house. So yeah, like I said, base inspection, that's top to bottom, what we can see operate and access. The first recommendation is that pest inspection. That's the wood destroying insect report. That is a third party here in North Carolina. There are very few home inspectors that do that in-house, but you need like two years of experience in pest control to get it. <laughs> so most people don't have that. So that's the pest. The next is radon testing. We do have radon here in Western North Carolina specifically. We are an EPA level one area, which means on average, we are going to be in that above average reading for radon. So I would absolutely recommend radon, um, especially because you can't see it, you can't smell it. The only way to know it's there is a test. And it's a pretty economical test. It's only, I think we charge 150 bucks for it. Um, and then after radon, I'm going to say, suggest septic. So septic, we have two parts. You can do the inspection and we can tack on a septic pump if that's something that you think you need. Um, especially speaking to short-term buyer clients, I absolutely recommend it. You start with a clean slate because as you know, the short-term rentals, they just use and abuse those septic systems. And then we also do well inspection. So septic is a third party. 
uh, well inspections we do in-house. And then with a well inspection, you can also do water quality because the well inspection is just the mechanics of the well. Water quality is the actual quality of the groundwater. That's another one where people, even I, I'm from California. They're like, I just thought all water was great water. No, <laughs> there's a lot of filtration systems we see here in the mountains. So water quality is important. Um, and that's really, so that's that's the usual snapshot that I will give clients. We have lots of other ancillaries, but I don't really like to dig into those unless they've got a pool or something very specific. Okay, awesome. So is there anything else specific to this mountain market that you feel like the listeners might need to know in terms of home inspections, questions to ask if something comes up, uh, really anything? Yeah. I mean, I think the list of ancillaries is pretty telling. I think that's definitely what you want to focus on. Um, But like you recommended, call your home inspector because I'm always going to ask somebody, is it occupied? Is it not occupied? And you may say, why does it matter? If no one's been living there for 10 years or five years or a year, that matters to me. And I've got a separate set of questions. What year was the home built? I think that's important. You know, because here in Asheville, we see 1900s homes quite often. So those are kind of important questions when buying in this area to make sure you vet all those things. Um, and then, like I said, I do, I really do harp on well and septic um, because those are more unique to remote mountain areas. Um especially if they're harder to get to, you know, we have unique septic systems, unique well systems, like I mentioned, springs, cisterns, all stuff like that. So really quiz your home inspector and say, here's the statistics of my house. What do you see? And what, you know, what comes to mind of what you think I might need? I do have one more question and it is in regards to brand new construction. So when someone's buying a brand new construction house, I always recommend they get an outside inspection. So uh, typically, guys, when you're buying a brand new construction, you'll get what's called a punch list walkthrough uh, with the builder, which basically they'll fix any little things that need to be fixed. But I also recommend getting an outside inspection. So when you're getting a home inspection on a brand new construction, does that mean there's going to be zero things on that home inspection? Like you said, we have never had a home inspection that came back with nothing. I think in the thousands we've done, we've had two new constructions that only came back with one item. But that's still one item. Um, and I tell people, you will never have your builder's attention like you do prior to closing the contract. They want that money. They want that final payment. Utilize that attention. So for new construction, absolutely recommend because the, but people will be like well but the the inspector was there that's a code inspector which while that's very valuable there are many things in your home they don't care about they don't care if your pantry door opens and hits the fridge they don't care about these little nuances of things we can find so yes absolutely recommend and then with new construction we can also do 11 month warranty inspections so here in north carolina the builder gives a one year warranty so once again you're not going to have their attention. The first time you get their attention is to get the closing, but then also just before that warranty period lapses, you want a list of things that you want to utilize, you know, and capitalize on that warranty to get them to fix. Um, and what's why that's really important is when is the last time you were in your attic or on your roof or in your crawl space? So we see that more for the inaccessible areas. Like, you know, like a lay person would never know that they're HVAC is acting up per se. So new construction for, you know, during contract and then the 11 month is, is super important. And that's what we see a lot. Yeah. And I think a lot of people mistakenly think that when they're buying new construction, they're buying perfection, but when a house has never been lived in, like you don't know if the hose to hook up the dishwasher is like not quite screwed in all the way and it might leak. 
or, you know, the shower has never been run at the same time as the dishwasher and the washing machine. And, you know, there are things that because the house hasn't been lived in that you're going to find as you settle in that need to be tweaked. And I think a lot of people think that everything's going to be absolutely perfect. And it's kind of like the opposite of buying an existing construction where there are going to be things that need to be tweaked or repaired because it's been lived in and regular wear and tear. It's kind of the opposite with new construction. There are going to be things that need to be tweaked because it's never been lived in or used. Spot on, 100%. And I think that brings it to, you know, people are like, oh, why do I need a home inspection? I'm a contractor. I ran all the, I flushed the toilet and I went not. And you hit the nail on the head. We stress that property on, on purpose. We're running, we're opening all the fixtures wide open for 15 minutes. We've seen showers that didn't leak until the 15 minute mark. You know what I mean? So kind of like vetting out all those things, using our tools and tricks to kind of to to if there's an issue to bring it to the surface. So I think that's super important. It's a great point. Awesome. Well, we're going to move on to the financing contingency, but we're going to bring you back in for the final walkthrough talk here in a little bit. So uh, financing and appraisal contingencies, Jay. So what are some reasons that a property might terminate on the financing contingency? Well, if it is, uh, if it's listed too high and it doesn't appraise, we don't see very many appraisal gaps anymore just because we've kind of, uh, in North Carolina especially, we've our prices have come down to match the market and in the interest rates up there. So not a, not a lot on that. Um, we... I know that some of the appraisers in the situations for an STR that will, they'll appraise it with the knowledge that it will rent as a short-term rental. And they do take that into consideration. So, you know, it's, it's more or less like when I look at the price of a house and, you know, look, do it, pull my CMAs and stuff like that to see if it actually, you know, if I, if I, if I don't think it'll appraise, I'll be like, man, this is, this is priced too high. So, um, you know, I think we're kind of hitting the mark just fine now with, uh, with prices. So that doesn't, it's not a big issue right now. So what happens if a property does not appraise Is the contract just dead or can you negotiate again? No, it's not dead. Um, you can, I, you can come back and be like, Hey, look, it didn't appraise. This is where we need to be if you want to complete the sale. And that's up to the seller, whether they want to do that or not, but we can definitely come back and, you know, ask for an amendment, of contract. So, um, you know, a lot of times that they're, they're, they're either cool with that or they'll ask you to meet them halfway. If you got, you know, you'll, you have to throw down some cash to, to, to bring it up to that so to, for your financing to go through. But, uh, you know, a lot of times people are pretty understanding about that. You know, it's the appraisal, like chances are it's going to appraise the same again. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So this is something that is a lot different now than it was in 2021, where everything was so many offers that a lot of times we would see sellers would not negotiate if it appraised low. They wanted you to come out of pocket with all of that extra cash. But now, since it's uh, we don't have a line of other investors willing to pay over asking with an appraisal gap on every single property, uh, sellers are more negotiable about either dropping it to the appraised value or meeting you in the middle a little bit. Um, what are some other reasons that something might terminate? Uh, that's usually that's the biggest one. But what are some other reasons that something might terminate uh, on the, I, I keep wanting to say inspection, on the financing contingency? Um, well, you know, uh, I had this 
problem the other day and it, just for example and it, everything was fine so uh this property when the appra- the appraiser made a mistake and said that you know hey this property has an HOA you know here's the yearly dues on that well that kind of if that were actually true that could have come back and tanked the lending because then it would have to go back to underwriting because they didn't have this figure in there. I mean, in this certain scenario, everything turned out to be fine. It was a mistake and we closed and yay, we're good. But, uh, you know, something like that could pop up. We do have, you know, HOAs that are, you know, as an agent, a listing agent, you might not necessarily know that it was there because it's so old, but it was maintained and somebody's paying it and it's just not very public knowledge, but you can go down and search the records for it. But, uh, you know, like a hidden HOA fee or, you know, there's a road maintenance agreement in place that nobody knew it was there. That that's another extra bit of, uh, you know, money that would add to you that could blow up a loan, you know, you know, just a little bit, if you're tight can blow you up. So that is a really good segue into the next point I was going to make or question I was going to ask. So it's very important for the financing contingency, and we don't have to get too far in the weeds on this because we do have a financing episode, that you not do anything big financially, like finance a car or anything like that during your contract period. Because what can happen is it can offset your DTI. And when they go back uh, close to closing, when the lender goes back to run everything through underwriting, all of a sudden you don't qualify anymore. So uh, where I don't see that as much, I think that's more of something that happens in primary home buying. But what I do see that if you guys are doing this, you need to make sure your agent and your lender, especially your lender, knows. Uh, I see people who are looking in multiple markets at one time and buying multiple properties at one time, which is fine if your lender knows all of this up front that you're trying to buy two or three and you're properly pre-approved. But some people who say you're you're pre-approved for a $500,000 loan with your lender, they're going and looking in different markets and not understanding that that doesn't mean you can buy two or three $500,000 properties. It means you can buy one. So they're using the same pre-approval in separate markets, trying to buy more than one thing at a time. I've seen people even try to trick lenders and use two separate lenders for this because they have enough cash, but they don't have enough DTI to do it. And guys, you will, that's like, it's always going to get caught in underwriting. uh, So just don't try it. So you want to make sure that everyone in the deal knows exactly what your intentions are across the country. Even if, you know, you're buying in California and that's got nothing to do with Jay in North Carolina, your lender and Jay need to know that so that they can properly protect you during the contract process and make sure that everything is going the way that it needs to go. So if you're trying to buy two properties at once and you're not supposed to be doing that per the lender, it can, you know, buying one, they they can blow each other up. The deals can blow each other up and then you may not qualify for financing. So just make sure everybody in the deal knows exactly what you're doing. Everybody is on your team to help you, um, but that can blow the deal up. It's trying to do too many things at once. All right. Anything else? that you want to talk about regarding financing contingency or appraisals or anything like that? No, no, pretty well covers it. Like a lot of stuff up here is just an easy process. So, uh, you know, I haven't run into anything super major that I can give you insight on right now, but I'll, you know, in future podcasts, I, you know, if I come up with anything, I'll let you know. (laughs) All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. So we're getting close to closing. We've got our inspection stuff handled. We've got our financing stuff handled and we're getting close to the closing date. So the final walkthrough of the property, do you guys have final walkthroughs in North Carolina? 
Uh, we, yeah, we do, but you know, I, I won't, I don't do them if you're not here. Like I, I, at one point, you know, played around with trying to do like a FaceTime or something like that, but it's still not like, you know, a, a good substitute for actually being here in person. So if you aren't here, I typically will have you sign a sight unseen disclosure because you're not actually here for, to physically uh, view the property and do the walkthrough. And now um, I don't know if you, if uh, Kimmy, do you, uh, do you do a final walk? Would, would you do final walkthroughs for clients if they uh, asked you to do that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah. So obviously I'm familiar with final walkthroughs. We do have them here. We don't technically solicit that because a couple of things with license law, if you're hiring a home inspector, we by law have to produce a home inspection report and it has to be thorough. So if we're being hired to do a home inspection or to show up at a property, I've got to do the same thing I always do, top to bottom, back to front, the whole nine. Um, I will say we do do re-inspections, but also with re-inspections, we prefer a limited scope. So a lot of times people will call us back and say, hey, they made some repairs. Can you go take a look at them? And we'll come take a look at just the 10 items that you ask us to look at. So that's I guess that's more the capacity that we're that we're involved in, not mm-hmm. necessarily just like a hey, we're gonna close tomorrow. Can you come just like look yeah, around? yeah, and yeah. that's exactly <laughs> what yeah, that is exactly my recommendation. So, Jay, I guess you found that it's not in the buyer's best interest for you as the agent to do a final walkthrough. So sometimes different places it's called different things. Sometimes it's called a final walkthrough, sometimes it's called a final inspection. Uh so what I typically recommend that I think is in the buyer's best interest, and in some states, you are not allowed as an agent to do the final walkthrough. But what most of our clients do is we'll have the home inspector come do a reinspection and inspect only the things that were supposed to be repaired. Uh, and that typically is, is what's done. So there's, in my opinion, there's two people that should be doing either or or both a final walkthrough slash inspection. And that's you as the investor or uh, the home inspector who you had do the inspection. Uh, agents are just, and I know everybody's going to like stone me for this because everybody's probably bought a house in some other state where the their agent did the final walkthrough for them. So I have had clients come uh, call me after closing, because I did a final walkthrough just to see, just to make sure. And guys, final walkthroughs slash final inspections are not a necessarily, it's not a a new inspection to try and find other things to like beat the seller up over and try and get a deal at the last minute. All that these, the purpose of these things are to make sure that the property is in the same or better condition as it was when you first got under contract and did the first inspection. So um, I've done final walkthroughs for a client before when I was a new agent and just, you know, did a FaceTime. Everything was good. Everything looked the same. And then a few weeks later, he called me really upset because the floor around one of the toilets was squishy that I, you know, that's not something I would have noticed unless I'd actually gone and like sat down on that toilet, which, you know, I was just walking through to make sure it, it was what needed to be done. I mean, it was the same as it was supposed to be. So the the point that I'm getting at for the listeners is that uh, either if there are any repairs done, you absolutely need your home inspector to do a reinspection because they're licensed to do that. We're just real estate agents, guys. <laughs> and so we're not the best person to do that. I'm not calling a real estate agent to come, you know, fix my toilet or, you know, do my roof because we're not licensed to do that. Um, and then in terms of just doing a final walkthrough, 
you need to just have clear expectations with your agent of like, okay, we're just walking through to make sure everything looks the same. I'm not, you know, feeling around on the floor by the toilet for squishy floors. I'm not actually quote inspecting. I'm just going to walk through and say, Hey, everything looks the same as when I walked through the first time. So looks, looks good here, but really in a best case scenario, perfect world, you as the investor are coming to make sure everything is how it needs to be before you close. Yeah. I don't like to do them. Cause like when I walk through and I see everything and it looks good to me, but that's not going to necessarily look good to you. And in this situation, um, your it's your opinion that matters because it's, it's your investment, you know? Yeah. So what I necessarily see is not what you necessarily see. Yeah, exactly. So we got that done. We've done our final walkthrough. We're feeling good about it. Let's talk about closing and when possession is given because possession is given at different points in different states. So in some states, the buyer takes possession at the time of signing. In other states, they take possession when the loan has funded to the title company. And in other states, it's not until the money hits the the seller's account that you can actually take the keys and go. So here's the scenario that I want to kind of keep people from getting into. And that is driving from cross country with a truckload of furniture or flying in to North Carolina to close and planning on staying in your property that night of closing. Things can get hairy. Things things can happen to push closing back or, or possession back. So let's start there. When is possession given in North Carolina? So you know, we we say closing, but that's you know the closing day. You know, and you sit down with the, the attorney and or title company or what, however you do it in your state. We are an attorney state here in North Carolina, so we do sit down with an attorney. Now they will use a title company if they want to, but it's all handled by the closing attorney. Um, when you sit down to sign, that is not technically closing. That is called settlement. You are settling, you know, and executing the con, you know, the final contracts with the lender. You do not get possession of your house until uh, it's recorded. Cash and keys is once it's recorded. You technically do not own your house until uh, the loan is funded and the property's been recorded with the state. So, how long does that take usually? Um, honestly, I mean, if everything's good, you know, and you have a really smooth closing, like hours, like okay, like right <laughs> after signing, like two. Two three hours maybe it'll be recorded, but okay. uh, and I would imagine that some sellers are less of sticklers about that than others. Like some of them are probably like, "Here you go," and then others might be like holding the keys over here, waiting for that recording doc to come through before they give it to you. Right, and um, you know, a lot of times, like the, the keys, there will be keys in the lockbox, and then the seller will leave keys in the inside. Like, I don't mind going and unlocking the lockbox after it's been recorded or the keys will be left with the attorney where you can go pick them up after it's been recorded. But, um, you know, I've had people that are like, well, we've signed, we're done, you know, everything like that. I'm like, I can't let you in that house. You technically do not own it until it's recorded. Um, do you even deal though, with a lot of, um, sorry to interrupt you. Do you deal with a lot of actual hard copy keys still in North Carolina? Yes. Yes, uh, I do. Um, unless it's like an existing short-term rental. And a lot of times they'll just have the, uh, you know, the number pads on the door and, and the sellers will just leave the keys inside. But yeah, we do. Um, most of the time, I'd say about 90% of houses I show still have a physical key. Oh, okay. Yeah. So in some of the markets that, that I work in myself, uh, there are not keys period at all. Like the hard copy keys have long been lost and it's only the electronic locks. So that's, uh, you guys are, it's like, you know, archaic. we know <laughs> we just got the eighties here. 
<laughs> us, us mountain folk with our hard fucking keys. Um, all right. So if you're driving to close, I mean, you can always close remotely. Do you see a lot of remote closings? Uh, you know, probably about 90% of the the clients I work with with short-term shop. I mean, they're not here. I, I haven't met some of them. So they do the the mail-aways that those usually take a little bit longer to record, but it's like a, you know, an overnight situation. Once you sign, you throw it in the mail and it's overnighted to the attorney. So um, lots of those. So um, if you guys are planning to close in person, the moral of the story here is you may have to wait a few hours or maybe the next day for it to be recorded for you to technically be allowed. If you, if the seller doesn't care and says, go ahead, uh, then that's one thing, but just plan on not being able to get in until it has recorded and funded. Well, even if the seller says they don't care, I, I do not give keys until it's recorded. It's just the, it's kind of a liability thing until that seller has their funds and the, it's been recorded. It's, you know, it doesn't exchange at that point. So yeah, that's good practice. That's good practice as an agent. You don't want to be the guy that gave them the keys early. And then the seller all of a sudden has a problem or, you know, some, something got damaged yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And then you're the one that like, here's the key. Oh, you let them in our property. Well, yeah. You don't want to be that guy. That's no, smart. don't want to be that guy. Wise. All right. So plan on not being able to get into the house until it has recorded. So what if I'm a buyer? I'm trying to think of just, you know, some other things that now that we've kind of gone all the way through the process that that I've seen happen. What if I'm a buyer and I've ordered a bunch of furniture that's coming in and we have to delay closing a few days because of something with the loan? but my furniture's coming in before closing. Are sellers going to let me go put that furniture in the house and store it there? Uh, <laughs> um, uh, Probably not, right? <laughs> it, it really depends. Like, uh, you know, if the house is unoccupied, I mean, I don't, you know, necessarily see why not. I mean, I've actually had situations, you know, buyer possession before closing. I mean, there's just a lot of liability on it, even though you're just moving furniture in there. You know, that's still a buyer possession before closing. And, um, you know, it, it really depends on the seller in the situation. I would say, you know, uh, if the seller is cool with it, you know, but make sure you get it in writing and documented that, you know, this is all kosher, you know, or if you have to pay them a little rent or something to keep your stuff there in the garage, maybe, you know, it, it's really a case by case situation on that. So, yeah. Is there anything that you guys see? that you want to hit on before we go that like maybe a buyer scenario that's contract related that you have seen people get tripped up with before anything you feel like the listeners need to know to avoid any potential mistakes. Um, I, well, one thing I want to go back real quick um, to, to the radon inspection. I, I just want to let you know that I, I will always, always highly recommend a radon inspection be done. It is the number one cause of lung cancer for non-smokers. So you know, and I, if for PicoCurie, I think Kimmy is like the, until EPA steps in and does it, you know, 1.6 is about average indoors. Um, you know, you breathe radon every day. It's just in small doses that, you know, it's not harmful, but uh, we have a lot of minerals and rocks here in North Carolina. And that's the big, that's where the radon comes from. And I think this is important because I have not had a seller yet that we've come back on the report and be like, oh, it's 20 Pico Curies in there. That's way above EPA standard and said, hey, can you put a radon mitigation system in? And they're about, what, two to three grand to put a radon mitigation system in in some, you know, kind of ballpark. But I have not had a seller yet that refused to do that because they understand that if they don't do that, it's not going to sell because that is, it's, environmentally environmentally unsafe 
I had no yeah. idea. And I could do a whole hour on radon. If you ever want to circle back, you just let me know. <laughs> but exactly like I mean, it's, it's actually 1500 is the average price to remediate radon. So that's another thing. You know, sometimes we inspectors get involved pre-listing, you know, so aside from the physical concerns about radon or septic or well, I mean, it's an asset. It's a property. You want to protect that, especially as short term rentals. You know, you're going to have people in there. So you really want to vet all these potential issues that a renter can incur, you know, or if you choose to sell the property, I always talk about radon, you know, some people say, oh, well, I don't care about radon. I don't believe in it. Okay. You don't care, but somebody else is going to care. And it's really an easy kind of low, low hanging fruit to take care of. So yeah, just know your property, know your asset and, and be within the know. Cause in North Carolina, it's a caveat emptor state buyer beware. Once you close, that Fire is your beware. property and your problems. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's definitely important to, to be informed, you know, utilize, leverage your vendors, leverage your real estate agent, your home inspector, and and know all you can about a property. The last thing, Avery, and I think it related kind of to the contract part, uh, uh, process, and, and this just happened recently to me, and I really want to just like kind of touch on this for people. Um, okay. I know the attorneys us as agents, the lenders, we all have this in big red letters at the bottom of our emails. And, um, you know, wire fraud is real, very real. And, and at the end of a deal, that's when they try to get you. And, and that that can kill a deal. Like, like it really can if like you don't have the money to close. So make sure when you, if you get an email asking you to wire money, make sure you talk to your attorney first. Always talk to your attorney. Always, always, always talk to your attorney before you wire money. Um, Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that because wire fraud scammers have gotten really smart. So they know now that everyone's told to call to verify. So what I, I've seen some in the past where they'll say, uh, okay, here's the wiring instructions. Call me to verify. And they put a fake number in there. So always go on Google and get the Google number from, you know, the official phone number from the attorney to call them. Don't get any phone numbers from even like people's email signatures because those scammers are getting really smart. But that's a very, very good point, Jay, that I'm really, really glad you you brought up. Always call the attorney's office to verify the wiring in instructions because you do not. I've seen it happen once or twice where people have gone on and sent the money. I've seen them get it back every time, but you don't want to be the one that that happens to. So uh, definitely always, always, always call and, and get it off Google. Like verify that it is the right number. Don't just call a number because someone sent it to you in an email. Very, very good advice. Yes. And, and they're, you know, actually was a cybersecurity IT guy for a long time dealing with this kind of email stuff. And uh, before I became a realtor, but uh, the, the, these emails are very legit looking. They will take your paralegal or your attorneys or your title companies, whatever they down to the signature and spoof their email address. Look at their email address as well, because that's a good uh, indicator of, you know, if it doesn't look right, if it's if it's your attorney, but at a Gmail, then that's it most likely is a scam. But uh, yeah, and this can tank the process. If they steal your down payment, that's going to delay closing. You know, it's going to... Among other go things. Out of, yeah, <laughs> among other things, you know, it, it's, it's going to tank your closing, you know, unless you have the funds to, you know, do that, to, to go through with it, then, you know, deal with that at another time. But yeah, it's just be careful. Yeah, really, really great advice. And I think that's a mic dropper, guys. Um, Thank you guys so much for your time. A lot of really valuable information here. Guys, if you want to buy a house with Jay in the Western North Carolina market and then get a home inspection from Kimmy... Uh, email us at agents at the shorttermshop.com or come to one of our weekly Q&A sessions at strquestions.com and we will get you all hooked up. Thanks so much, guys. Take care.